So as we wrap up this last teaching uh, in our series, Jesus, Our Everything, you know, it's been quite a journey as we look at all the titles of Christ, all the things that he means to us, that he can be our everything, that he can be our rest, that he can be our good shepherd, that he can be our model, that he can be our, like we've talked about through Advent season, he can be our peace, he can be our joy, he can be our hope, and he is those things. And this morning is all about Jesus, our high priest. Not only just a title, but a reality that he understands us and represents us before the Father. Let me ask you a question. When you want to confide in someone, what qualities do you look for in that person? Let's say you've got a, an issue you're kind of working through or maybe something you're struggling with or you want some input for a decision or your heart's hurting and you just need comfort. What kind of person do you usually confide in? Or if you're married, hopefully that's your spouse. And if you're not, you know, you probably think through, well, like, who could I really trust? I mean, this is valuable information. This is heart-level stuff I want to share. And I, I want to know that they understand me, that they've lived life long enough to be able to maybe sympathize with the struggle or have some insight because they've walked in those shoes or down that path. So you usually think, you know, who can I trust? Who would understand? Who would be sympathetic? And who could bring me help and wisdom because I really need it at this juncture in my life? Well, do you know that you have that in Christ every moment of every day that he gives you the gift of life? Because even though we look to others that have skin on, that are human, they'll fail us, right? They're not perfect. Their wisdom may not be totally in line with Scripture or just maybe twisted a little bit from their experience in life. They're not the perfect representation of God, but they help. But this morning, we're going to look at Jesus being our sympathetic high priest, that he is the perfect one that can give us all we need, really whatever our need is, all the time. And so open your Bibles. We're going to look in Hebrews chapter 4. And it's a very simple thought, but it's so incredibly profound because in this world, we have trouble which means we have need. In this world, because we can't control things, even though at times we try, we constantly are invited to come back to what we need from the Lord when we don't find it in ourselves. And so this whole passage is about Jesus lovingly being a high priest that is always wanting to hear our hearts. So starting in chapter 4, verse 14, just a few verses, and then we'll talk about them as we go through. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find, receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Some really powerful statements. You know, what's the context, though, for these? This is chapter 4, and some of you are like, whoa, we jumped over three chapters. What went on before the writer got to this chapter about this high priest? Well, it was all about Jesus being high and lifted up, being the perfect representation of God, the perfect, perfect and exact representation of his glory in flesh. That when God looked down in his love, on creation that had messed it up because of our sin and our waywardness from him and not loving people the way God loves us, he knew he had to send his son. 
into this world. And we celebrated that, didn't we, this season and at Christmas Eve, the fact that he came to be our hope, to be our model, to be our joy, to show us how we can live. And that exact representation of the Father in Christ through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit is the very one who welcomes us to come to him every day. And that's really significant because, as you know, we think of angels and we think of important people in this world. You even look back at these characters in Scripture. The author wants us to know that Jesus is so far above every other priest, every other created being, even the angels and the host of angels wait on the Word of God to do all that they do. He is the great King, the Creator. He chose to come in Christ take on flesh, live in this world the way you and I live in this world, but to conquer sin and death, to go through a cross, to rise up from the grave, and to sit at the right hand of the Father to be our sympathetic, sympathetic, great high priest. So just a couple things so that we can apply this. The first is to hold fast our confession of faith. In verse 14 it said, Since we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. To hold fast what we've confessed that we believe about God being loving and awesome and righteous and holy and majestic and sovereign, that he did send his Son into this world so that we could have hope and forgiveness, that he could enter our life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a confession that we believe, the confession that the Holy Spirit helped us to understand to humble our heart before a holy God that we would then be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, right? That's our confession. That's the gospel. And you have to hold tight to that. You have to hold on to what you know is true in this world because all around us, everyone else is saying there is no truth or believe this or believe that. Different religions or philosophies or worldviews and the one that we get from Scripture is about the one and only true God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the hope that's in the gospel. And we hold on to that confession because it won't change, and it's life-giving, and it promises us abundant life and eternal life. And everything else in the world that might say it delivers is really not going to ever hold its promise. It ends up falling apart and being empty at some point. People disappoint us. Politicians can disappoint us, governments can disappoint us, employers, our best friends, our spouses, they can all disappoint us. Our trust and our confession is to hang on to who Christ is. When all things around us could shake or could fall, Christ never will. So he tells us, hold fast this confession. And we can hold fast because we have this great high priest who understands what it's like to be human. And I wanted to just read from a great resource called gotquestions.org. If you ever have a question about something in the Bible or faith or Christianity or a word, forgiveness or grace or propitiation or whatever, this is really a great website. So maybe write that down, gotquestions.org. But I liked what they said about the role of the high priest because if we understand why he has this title and why it's significant to us, then we have this, this sense of accessing great truth and great power of God. The most important duty of the high priest was to conduct the service on the Day of Atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month of every year. Only he, the high priest, was allowed to enter the most holy place beyond and behind the veil to stand before God. Having made a sacrifice for himself 
And then for the people, he then brought the blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled it on the mercy seat, God's throne. He did this to make atonement for himself and the people for all their sins committed during the year just ended. It is this particular service that is compared to the ministry of Jesus, our great high priest. In understanding the role of the high priest, we can better comprehend the significance of Christ offering himself for our sins once for all. Through Christ's sacrifice for us, we are sanctified and set apart for him. By entering God's presence on our behalf, Christ has secured for us an eternal redemption. And as Paul said, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. That helps you understand why this should be so important to us. Because in the Old Testament, and as they were worshiping through the temple and through the direction of the high priest, only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies only one time a year, beyond the veil, to receive forgiveness for his sins and the sins of the people. But always pointing to the fact that the Lamb of God, God himself in the Son, the, the incarnate Word of God would come and actually replace and really fulfill all of that Old Testament prophecy and all of those legal, you know, because it was all by law, those directives and those requirements, Jesus satisfied them all. That's why he's called the great high priest. He took over all that the high priest did, you know, in the Old Testament and fulfilled it in himself. He himself went beyond the veil. He himself in the Holy of Holies, his blood gives us forgiveness. And the crazy thing is because he went in and the veil was torn, remember that at his resurrection when the veil in the, the temple was torn from top to bottom? We now have access into the Holy of Holies because of Christ. We have access to God the Father through the Son as directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing truth. Sometimes we hear the term and I don't know if we really appreciate it. But looking back, seeing how Christ fulfilled that all, as the great sympathetic high priest, it gives us great confidence. So he says, we've got to hold on to those truths. When the world wants to take God out of our schools, out of every public arena, just realize you have an enemy that wants to take Christ out of your heart and out of your life. If he can even bump Christ off the throne a half inch in your life, if he can get something else to compete with Christ in your life, he's won a great victory. So we need to protect, right? We need to protect the throne of our heart and say, only Christ rules and reigns there. And we talked about that, the, the peace of Christ, that the peace of Christ should rule in our heart. So he gives us that, but we have to protect it. He says we have to hold fast. It's kind of like, you know, have you ever seen uh, those bull riders? Anyone ever watch a, a rodeo or those guys that jump on the bulls and, you know, they get all strapped in? Okay, if you've ever seen, I want to describe it to you if you haven't. Well, these, these bulls, I don't know, a couple thousand pounds, nasty looking things, right? Huge with a big hump on their back and all this, right? So these cowboys get on and they're all decked out. You know, they got their chaps on. They have all this protection now so they don't have every rib of their body broken. And now I think they're wearing helmets because it's crazy. But, uh, you know, they used to just wear the cowboy hat. So they get jump on. They're in the chute. The bull is pretty calm, just hanging out. They jump on top and there's this strap that has a rope connected to it, right? So they sit down on that bull, they stick their hand actually underneath like this, palm up, underneath the rope, and they take that, the extra rope, and they start wrapping it around their hands. Have you ever seen it? 
And they're, they got this big leather glove on, and they're just like this, wrap, refitting, wrap, wrap, pull tight. No, it's not right. Do it again, unwrap it, wrap it again, wrap it again. All so that they can hold on for their life <laughs> onto that bull. And they've got to hold on. Once that chute opens, they've got to hold on to that raging bull for how many seconds? Eight seconds. I said seven for service, and I had a girl come up to me and correct me on that, so I felt pretty embarrassed. But seven's a biblical number, so I thought I'd go with it. No, it's eight seconds. And she said, you know, like one second is like an eternity. You know, so I, yeah. Okay, so it's eight seconds. And once that chute opens, that bull goes crazy, and you're trying to hang on for life. It's very common to shoot. But once you get out there in the ring, in the arena, you've got to hold on, and you better have that grip on that rope, and you better have it wrapped around you just right. Sometimes the world gets crazy. Would you agree? Sometimes it's like trying to ride a bull. And I think they have a strap on the back of the bull that they go like that right before they let him out, and they don't like it. And the bull's going crazy, and the last thing he wants is you on his back. Well, the world gets crazy, unpredictable, chaotic, violent, and we're supposed to hold on to Christ in the midst of that. Sometimes we don't hold on real well. Sometimes we don't start the day in the chute tying ourselves to the Word of God. And we try to do it in our own strength. Sometimes we don't recognize that the day that we think we may have a plan to control and navigate perfectly will be so out of control because the people in our day we can't control. And even ourselves we can't control so much of the time. We need to have a firm grip on the Word of God. And we do that when it's calm at the start of the day. And then when the day gets rough, we know that we've been holding fast and we remember what we've read. We remember how we prayed. Hold fast the confession of faith. Hold fast to your great high priest who understands what you face. Secondly, is we need to remember that Jesus is the sympathetic high priest. Sympathetic in that he understands, right? So verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet was without sin. That word sympathize means to be affected by the same feelings of another or to have compassion on. So we have compassion on someone when we can relate to their feelings. Jesus has compassion on us because he lived in a human body and he understands what we face as we go through our routines in this world. He understands the temptation. In fact, it says that he was tempted as we are in every way, yet he was faithful and he conquered those temptations all the time perfectly. We go, well, okay, but he was God. Yeah, but because he was God and he did face it all, he understands and he can relate to our weakness in trying to do it, not being God, but he lives in us and he can help us through it. So we can gain confidence that our sympathetic high priest understands and comes to our rescue when we're in need. He experienced humanness. He came the Word of God incarnate into this world, leaving the glories of heaven to come and experience what it's like to have demands of people on you constantly, what it's like to be ridiculed or mocked, what it's like to be tired after a long day. He understands. He understands there were temptations. As you remember when, at the beginning of his ministry, 
He was tempted physically. He was tempted to receive glory and to want to worship Satan or follow Satan in some way, right? And have the rulership of this world prematurely. Well, he, st he stood to all that temptation and then his whole ministry, he stood against it. He really understood the full weight of temptation. When you and I face a temptation and we feel like, man, you know, that temptation for pride or envy or whatever, I fight it and sometimes I'm good with it, sometimes I'm not or whatever, you haven't really understood the full weight because you fell to it once or many times. Unless you can think of an area like, well, I've really kind of been always successful to fight the temptation. Well, at that moment, and if that's true of you in some area, you understand the full weight because it's come to you and yet you haven't given in. But most of us can relate to the temptations that come and sometimes we do give in and we fall and we confess that to God. We're forgiven and we move on, right? We march forward. Christ is the only one that can say he understands the full weight of every temptation that you and I would face, but he never gave in. So he never gave in and the temptation was stronger and stronger. Think of the mocking that happened near the end of his ministry, knowing that people wanted to kill him, that they had plans. And then all that happened in the trials and then in the crucifixion and the whole process of being crucified, the full weight was coming on him then. The full weight of sin, but also temptation to want to call the angels and the Father to rescue him. He took the whole weight of the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, the full weight of the temptation that pressed in on him and more and more to the very last breath. And he was victorious. He conquered it. So now we can look to a sympathetic, great high priest who understands temptation far better, never gave in and understands its full weight. He can help us. All that's to say, Jesus can help us. He gets it. He can help us. Oh, no, he doesn't know what it's like. Oh, he knows what it's like. He really knows what it's like. He experienced our weakness as human beings on this earth. He understood what temptation was about. And yet, because he didn't give in, he can minister to our heart and give us strength we don't have in ourselves. Hebrews 2.17 says that as well, just a couple chapters earlier. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. When you face temptation and you're not caving in, you feel like you're suffering. Jesus understands your suffering. When you feel sad or alone because you're going to hold on to truth and not cave in, not compromise, Jesus understands what that feels like. He does get it. But he's always willing to give us mercy and help. Sometimes we think to go to God, it's a scary prospect because maybe he'll be harsh and legalistic with us. Maybe he'll say like, yeah, been a long time. Or, oh, it's you again. Or, you know, we think he's got other people or other, you know, global things to attend to. He doesn't have the time to hear your heart and my heart, especially as often as we really need to come, that maybe we're going to find a different response this time. God is always loving and he's always kind beyond your wildest imagination. You cannot exaggerate his mercy or his grace. You can't do it. 
The human mind is not capable of actually knowing the unending, undying, unconditional love of God to its full extent. Maybe when we're in heaven, we see Him face to face, we'll really start to get it a little bit more. But He always will give us grace and mercy. Not, oh, you again. Not, are you serious? The same issue? (laughs) We're not going to get that from Him. I think that's why sometimes we feel so distant and far from God is we think he finally just got really annoyed. He's just lost his patience with us because we know our sin, we know our weakness, we know when we fail, we know when we fall, we know we haven't been pursuing God, we know he's been gracious to us in the past and would be now, but I I just can't fathom he actually would want to have open arms and an embrace for me. When you can start to realize that's who he is, that's his essence, his character, God is holy and just, but he's loving, so you're always going to get love. And his kindness is beyond what you can really ever imagine. He is your sympathetic high priest. He understands you are dust. He understands our frame. He knows before you even had a thought about your life and even a thought about God, he knew you. He knew you in your mother's womb. He knows the number of hairs on your head. I often like to say that seems like a needless statistic to me, but he knows. So that means he's intimately acquainted with your ways, intimately. You don't have to explain anything to God. He knows it already. And he loves me still? Do you ever just ponder that thought? He knows me better than I know myself, but when I really look at myself, I'm not real proud of what I see a lot of time, and he loves me anyway. Why is that? It's not according to my performance. It's not according to how much scripture I've memorized or how much I've been in my Bible this week. If it's not like I prayed a ton and I did this and that, if it's not them, then what is it? Because I know I'm weak and I know I'm not all that God wants me to be. How could he keep loving me? He looks at you through his son and through his son, he sees a great sacrifice to buy you back as his son and daughter. If he allowed his own son to go through that to bring other sons and daughters into glory, it's not a matter of your performance. It's a matter of relationship. You're in his family now. He literally is your father. Christ is your brother and savior and your high priest. They're representing you. They're interceding for you. They love you beyond what you'll ever be able to fathom. So when you come to him at your time of need, looking for grace and mercy and help, you're at the end of your rope. You're just like, oh, He gets it. And he doesn't say, really? Haven't you been going to church for a while? You don't know this yet? Seriously, I mean, sometimes we we don't even realize the mental thing that goes on. Like, really? We think God is saying to us, really? He doesn't say, really. He says, welcome. He's glad and happy that you're coming to him for help. It shows faith. Without faith, it's impossible to what? To please God. But every time you you express faith, every prayer in Christ's name expressing faith, he always welcomes, he wants to be your help, he wants to pour out mercy and grace. And he wants to do it every single time you have a need. But you have to ask. It's there. You don't have because you don't ask, Scripture says. We need to ask, Lord, would you help me right now? Yes, Lord, the fifth time today for patience. But I'm asking again because I'm probably going to run into him in the hallway. (laughs) 
I'm probably going to have to call that person back. I'm probably going to have to stay with that account. I'm probably going to have to face the situation at home. I need your strength again. That shows that you really believe you're walking with a God personally. He's not way up there. He lives in your life through the Holy Spirit, that Christ is your intercessor with the Father, that the whole Trinity is in love with you. The whole Trinity says you're part of them in the same family of God. You're in his family. You're just actually living like what you really say you believe. And when you do that, and you're not worried about him beating you up because Jesus took the beating. He's your propitiation. That's what that word means. It satisfied the debt. The payment was in full. Is this hitting you now? It's done. It's finished. When Jesus said it was finished, he meant it. It was taken at the cross, so you're free. That's going to bring so much joy to your heart right now. It's like, I'm truly free. I'm truly set free from my sin, from guilt, from condemnation. It's taken from me as far as the what? The east is from the north. <laughs> the east is from the, like, I can't, oh, let me hold on to that one. I'll go back to this. It's just like, it's separated from you. What's the deepest place you can imagine on the earth? Give me the deepest place you can imagine. Um, where? Okay, and how far, how deep is that? Okay, it's really deep. We probably couldn't do it on one breath to get to the bottom, right? The deepest way, the depths of the ocean, that's where you put your sin. He's trying for us to picture the fact that it's impossible for God to hold anything against you because it was held against his son. Jesus took the offenses so they weren't held against us. That's huge. That's so freeing, isn't it? That's so incredibly loving and gracious and kind and compassionate. And he says, now, do you want that every day? Yes, I do. <laughs> do you want that every day? Or would you rather try to manipulate, control, control them, do it in your own strength, get frustrated, hold on to the hate, you know, be envious and prideful and just, ah, because I don't think God's really going to provide, so I need to be more like this to get what I need out of life. Oh, I can control this relationship. I'm getting fearful now, so I try to... You just go, I have a heavenly Father who's looking out for me. The eye of the Lord is on the righteous, on those that trust in his steadfast love. His eye is on you. He never loses track of you. He's never tired of you. He's not disappointed in you. You're his son or his daughter. He loves you deeply with an undying love. Let that sink in. Okay, so uh, when I'm really struggling this week, what do I do? I go to the one that loves me. There's no doubt he loves me. Hey, Father, um, really struggling with this loneliness right now. I'm really struggling with this temptation. I need strength. I'm really overwrought with sorrow. The sympathetic high priest who went, for, went to the cross for you and raised up a new life wants to give you that new life too. We have to hold on to the confession of what we know to be true. We have to hold on to Jesus as our sympathetic high priest and then we draw near to his throne of grace. That's the last point. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here's the question. How often do you have a time of need? You mean like the last hour or like this week? Like you don't have to go far to go, well, I have a need here because I'm going back to work and that situation's really hard. I have a need here in this relationship because we're not getting along. Last time we were together wasn't good. Or I have a need here because the financial situation... I'm physically struggling, I got a chronic issue, or I got that nasty cold that I thought I had nailed. It's rearing its ugly head again. Anyone really? 
I, I, I'm, I'm needy here because I'd like to have that relationship. I'm needy here because I am in the relationship and it's really hard. I'm needy here. And we just, if we're really honest, we just say we're human. We have needs all the time. The Lord does not get bothered by the fact that we're needy. In fact, we are made to depend on God. He hardwired us to depend and rely on Him, not ourselves. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 3 that says that our competency is not in ourselves, but in God. And when you go, oh, I, I have God's strength in me? I'm competent in God, not myself. I don't have to toot my own horn. I don't have to like, climb some ladder to be significant or powerful or successful. I'm, he's already said my competence is in Him. Pressure's off. Now I just have to call on the name of the Lord. I just have to realize the throne of grace is always open. I'm not going to a courtroom. Jesus went to the courtroom. We were found guilty because of our sin. He took the punishment. We're released from the courtroom. We get to walk in relationship with our loving Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus. And we have to know we can have confidence to always draw near to His throne of grace, not draw near to the courtroom to see how we'll be judged. The judgment went on Christ. There's no more condemnation. We'll always find grace. We won't find a bait and switch. Oh, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I'll lay more on you. <laughs> that wasn't Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you what? Rest. Come to me in your time of need, to my throne of grace, and you're going to find mercy and help. It's a similar type of invitation, and we can take that to the Lord every day. And we can come confidently because we know our relationship is based on being his son or daughter, that we're dearly loved. That builds our confidence and our assurance that we're always going to find help, not lectures. Now, the Lord will grow us. As we're in his word each day, he grows us to understand more. But when we come in our time of need, for whatever the needs are, we're always going to find help, always find grace and mercy maybe a redirection, maybe some truth that will actually help us to not go off that cliff <laughs> or get into territory or something we shouldn't that would be unhealthy. That's loving. That's what a parent would do for a child if they're headed toward trouble. We draw near the throne of grace daily, whatever our needs are, with the absolute assurance and promise that we're going to find grace every time. We're going to find His mercy. And if this works for you, I like to say this a lot because it's pretty simple. It's easy for every one of us to remember. You don't have to explain situations to God very long. If it's good for your heart to release them and talk them out in prayer or write it in a journal and, or even praying with someone else, but just realize God knows your heart and if your heart is sincere, just say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Help me have the right response. Help me have patience. Give me joy. Lord, send some good news this week. To me in my life, I want to feel your joy. Tell them what you need, what's lacking. I'm so flat right now spiritually. Like, okay, a little bump at Christmas Eve or a little bump because it's the time to celebrate Christ, but like, I'm kind of dry. I'm kind of flat. I'm kind of, whatever you're feeling, I'm kind of just frustrated. I'm kind of, tell them. I don't want to live there. Lord, give me your joy. Father, I need a fresh dose of mercy for these other situations. Lord, forgive me and help me to forgive others. Simple as that is. That's so freeing. What's your need? Bring it to the Lord, realizing He'll help you every time. Jesus, help me. He always responds to our cries.
So here's the review. Hold fast your confession of faith. Holding fast to the great high priest. Remember that Jesus is that sympathetic high priest who understands. And draw near to him who sits on that throne, that throne of grace, whenever you have need. Come with others. Come with your spouse. Come with other believers. Surely come yourself every moment of every day as you walk with him. And he'll meet you at your point of need and strengthen you. One of the ways we're going to do that as a church um, is to read through the New Testament this year, in 2016. So we do this, we've done this a few times in the life of the church. We're going to do it again. So reason is because if we're not holding on and holding fast to truth like you hang out of that rope on that bull, it's going to get crazy and you're going to lose your grip and you're going to not grow as God would want. And you're not going to have the delight in your walk with him as he wants to give you. So I'm encouraging, you can pick one of these up outside. We'll talk about it more next week. But the reason I had to do it now is some of you realize next week we're already in January and you'll feel behind if you get it next week. I know the way you think. Okay, so you can grab one now if you want to start. And this is it. It's just a real simple way of reading through the New Testament a little bit each day. You know, around here we call it the first 15. That to say, Lord, you're my most important relationship. You are my sympathetic great high priest. You're my shepherd, my best friend. You're the lover of my soul. You died for me to give me this life. You're the most important person of my day. Not my phone, not my computer, not getting crazy to get to work. Not, I'm going to prioritize you, Lord, as I walk into this new year with you. First 15. Okay, if you're like me, get your coffee going. All right, wake up, get the coffee going. But then put him first. Realize you have to hold on to him in his word. Realize that you have to talk out and pray out those things that you're bringing to your sympathetic Savior and high priest and that you'll find grace. Pray before you go into your day. Grab a couple scriptures before you go into your day. Some people say, well, 15 minutes isn't enough. Okay, you're right. But start there. Others of you may say, well, I have another reading program that I do and, I do, and that's great. That's for probably five of you. That already do so now. I don't know how many, but that's great. I'm just encouraging you, join us in this too. Because if you love the word that much, you won't mind adding another 10 minutes to read. We're going to be starting in James and then 1 John and Philippians. We're reading it together as a church so that you know other people in your body, brothers and sisters, can relate to what you're reading. And maybe you'll get an insight from them or you'll just be encouraged that they're reading about trials and temptations in the, the book of James. We get to 1 John. What does it really mean to love God if I'm not loving my brother? Ooh, how is that? Ooh, that's tough. Are you reading that? Did you read that today? In 1 John, like, you can relate to the rest of your body. So I'm really encouraging you, grab one of these. You can grab it this week, you know, right outside. And make that a priority to hold firm the confession of your faith by being in his word, by pouring out the contents of your heart, by worshiping God, even if it's for 15 minutes, but the start of every day. This will transform this body as it transforms our lives. So uh, take that as an encouragement and an invitation. And if you want to read the whole Bible, some people are like, well, I want to do the Old Testament. I did this last year, whatever. Just go online and put reading plan for the Bible. You get a, get a whole one printed out that's a little longer, a couple pages. You can read through the whole Bible too. But you can get this one. This is a simple one just for the New Testament. So we're going to see God grow us in new ways this coming year. What do you say? We're going to go to him more often because he's always got grace and help in our time of need. 
and we're going to believe that the truth is that he understands. And we don't have to be embarrassed or live in shame or guilt any longer. Amen? So we're going to pray. We're going to have the worship team come on up. And the prayer team is going to be over here too. So if you have any needs as we start, worship, come right up and pray. Lift any of your needs that you have to receive Christ as Savior. Maybe you haven't really understood that he came personally for you to rescue you and then build you up in Christ through his forgiveness and his grace. So come pray for any of those needs. And we're going to have a prayer right now. And then we're going to have an offering as well, which is part of our worship to him. Lord, thank you for taking our punishment and our pain, relieving our debt so that we could be free. For now, sitting at the right hand of the Father as our sympathetic high priest, you're the only one we need to go to to have forgiveness and grace and mercy from the Father. Thank you, Jesus, for that role that you have in our lives. And thank you, Lord, that we can always find everything we need with whatever our need is. We can find that met in you. So, Lord, give us humility to turn to you more often. And remind us, Lord, that it's okay to be a needy, independent people because you're a mighty, awesome God. And we get to walk even more closely with you as we talk to you through our days. So as we worship now, just pour out your heart to him. If you have a need, just state it to the Lord. Ask him for his grace and mercy or strength or forgiveness, whatever's on your heart. And then receive from him. And we ask you, Lord, to be honored as we worship you now.